It's good to be here. Not that that's really that big a deal to me. I'm here every day. Um, but when I'm here every day, people sit in the front rows. Okay? I know the difference between church and school. My kids sit in the front row maybe because I tell them to sit in the front row. But it is fun to be here. Think about it. I'm here speaking like I do most every day at school because that's what I do here. But today I speak and I get to speak about Jesus. How about that? That's pretty fun to do for me. So I relish this time. All of us have followed somebody or something. And when we follow that person or thing, we always probably have an expectation. An expectation of what we will get. What's the payback when we follow that person or that thing? Well, what about Jesus? What does Jesus say when he says, you follow me, what will we get? In the end, what do we get for following Jesus? When we're 70, 80, 90 years old, we look back and we say, I followed Jesus and this is what I got. Surely there's many things. But when I looked at scripture, I found one that might surprise you. And I'd like to talk about that today. But first, what didn't Jesus say? When you follow Jesus, what didn't he say? Jesus didn't say, follow me and better, be a better person. I don't see that. Now, obviously, we will be better people. I believe we'll be people of more grace, like we talked about last week. I think we'll be wiser. I think we'll be more disciplined more forgiving. But Jesus didn't say, follow me and just be a better person. Jesus didn't say, follow me and go to heaven and that's it. Obviously, God talks about accepting and going to heaven. Obviously, that's true. And he talks a lot about kingdom things. But he didn't say, follow me like life insurance and we're done. He says more than that. One of my favorite stories dealing with that is the thief on the cross, right? One of the favorite stories, when the thief looks down at Jesus and says, I get it, I know why I'm here, but why are you here? And Jesus looks up at him and says, today you'll be in paradise, today you will be in heaven because you recognize who I am. Yes, we will go to heaven, but there's more. There's more than just going to heaven. When we follow Jesus, Jesus never said, follow me, and you'll live a pain-free life. Jesus never said that either, did he? Jesus isn't like some magician that when you follow him, you get what you want. And you know, sometimes we act like that. Sometimes we expect that. Because we're kind of superstitious by nature, I think. I work with a lot of athletes, and athletes are really superstitious, right? They follow, they like to follow routine. If you break that routine, they get all nervous. Baseball players are the worst. Some of you guys are baseball players out there. You guys, I don't even understand you guys. You know, they wear their hats different. They don't wash their socks or underwear if they're winning. I don't get those guys. But we're all superstitious to a point. You know, so much so that um, Bud Light even put an advertisement, right? A lot of their Bud Light advertisements are about superstition. You see that, um, and if it, they wouldn't spend so much money on that if it really didn't get to us. I like the one where uh, 
the, guys, the guy is sitting there with all his buddies watching the football game, and he must go downstairs and grabbed a couple of Bud Lights, and as he was coming up the stairs, his team scores, and every time he goes down, they score, and when he goes up, they're not. So he stands at the top of the stairs, and he says to himself, I got a dilemma. Do I stay here, and we don't score, or do I go downstairs? And he heads downstairs. You know, we're all superstitious to a point. But when we follow Jesus, what does he say? I think what we'll look at today is something consistent throughout Scripture. When I show you today what I think Jesus is saying to us, you'll see it throughout Scripture. It's very consistent. It's really quite extraordinary. And my prayer today is that as we take a look at what we receive by following Jesus, I hope it changes your life. Hope we can all say that when we receive this from Jesus, we'll walk out those doors today by going to church and be different. That we're not just sitting here today and then we leave and everything's the same. What if? What if we could take what Jesus is telling us today in Scripture, walk out that door today and live differently? I think we can. I think that's what Jesus is telling us to do. So we're going to take a look at Matthew 10. If you have your Bibles or wherever else you want to look it up. Sixteen through twenty-eight. Now let me give you a little background before we hit into this Matthew ten. Um, this is early on in Jesus's ministry, and Jesus is very popular. He's gaining in popularity all the time. People are coming out in droves to listen to Jesus, and. The people that follow him really are like in three different sections, three different kinds of people I see. There's the first kind of people that will follow Jesus, that when Jesus goes to their city, if Jesus showed up in Bend, we'd all come up and watch him. And then there are those who would follow Jesus. If Jesus went to another town, we might go to their town and listen to him. And then you have those who followed him that were his closest companions, his disciples, those 12 disciples. Was not unusual for that time that teachers would have disciples? And Jesus had his disciples. Jesus is speaking to these disciples in Matthew 10 right here. Okay? Now, I'm well imagining that these disciples are kind of intrigued by all their popularity that they too are receiving. Jesus is, is becoming extremely popular. It's even hard to get to him. So many people are getting to him and so that they go maybe to the next best thing, and maybe they can get a piece and talk to his disciples. So I think they too are feeling this popularity and this new attention that they might be getting. You know, I don't think that too many of them had that attention before they started being his disciples. It wasn't like we would probably invite the tax collector to our uh, office party. It wasn't like these fishermen would make People's Magazine. But right now, in Matthew 10, they're feeling really accepted. A lot of good strokes coming their way. And that's where we pick it up in Matthew 10. And what I want us to do when we read this is I want us to put ourselves there. Jesus is speaking to his students. Really no different than he did probably many other times. 
Jesus is speaking to them and they're listening. He would often tell them, we're going to go here, I want you to do this, we're probably going to go here, I want you to wear this, whatever. He's doing the same thing right here. What I want us to do this morning is to place ourselves listening in to this conversation as if maybe we're in the balcony listening in to Jesus speaking to his disciples today. Okay? So let's listen in. Here's what Jesus is saying. Matthew 10, verse 16. Look, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves, so be shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. I'm thinking that if he said that, I might go, whoa, this isn't like what we've heard before. If he's thinking that we're the sheep and we're going out against wolves, hmm, not good odds. There might sound like Jesus is talking about some kind of conflict coming up ahead here. So Jesus continues. Oh, you got it. But beware, verse 17. But beware, for you will be handed over to the courts, and, they, and you will be flogged and whips in the synagogue. Whipped in the synagogue. Flogged? At that point, if they're sitting there taking notes as Jesus is talking... I bet they put their pencils down on this one. What's he talking about? What do you mean we're going to be flogged? They love us. They like us. What do you mean we're going to be flogged? You all know flogged, whipped. Whipped with, that, with, with like sharp bones or, or sharp rocks. Like barbed wire ripped in the back of the, and ripped down the base of your neck. We're going to be flogged? Really? See, what Jesus is doing here is he's telling these students of his, he's telling his disciples the future. And all of this is going to come true in the book of Acts. You're going to be flogged. Not what we've heard before. So now they're paying attention. Verse 18 and 19. You will stand trial before governors and kings because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell the rulers and other unbelievers about me. When you are arrested, don't worry about how you respond or what to say. God will give you the right words at the right time. Ken kind of referred to this verse last week when he was talking about spiritual giftings. That God will give us what we need when we need it. But i got to be telling you. If I'm sitting there and Jesus is saying this, I'm not really listening necessarily to that second part. I'm hearing him say, you're going to be arrested? Jesus didn't say it this way. You know, chances are, some of you are going to have to go to the courts. Odds are, you might end up being arrested. I don't see him saying that. What does he say? You will stand trial. You will be arrested. Jesus, that's not what I signed up for. I believe in you. I know that you are the Son of God. I'm all about this movement. But what's this all about? Kind of sums it up in verse 22. 
Jesus sums it up. All the nations are going to hate you because you are my follower. Follow Jesus, you're going to be hated, he says. Wow. That's pretty tough stuff for these guys. But here's the tension. Now remember, we're listening in on this. And if I'm looking at these disciples, I know what I'm thinking. I'm kind of hanging on some of these things. But here's the tension to me. Here's where I, I don't quite get it at first. Verse 27. He whispers. What I whisper in your ear. Shout from the housetops for all to hear. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid? Really? So you're telling me I'm going to get hated? People are going to hate me? I'm going to go to trial? I'm going to be arrested? People are going to turn on me? I'm going to get flogged? And you're telling me what? Not to be afraid? Feel the tension? And here it is. I think this is the climax to me of what Jesus is telling them. Why? This is why we can live fearlessly. And that's what he's telling his disciples. Verse 28. Don't be afraid. Of those who want to kill your body, You see, they cannot touch your soul. Jesus is saying, I got you. Jesus is saying to his disciples, he's saying to you and me, I can give you a faith that's so strong. You can have such security in me. You can have a faith that will overwhelm your fears. I've got your soul. I've got you. What if people saw that in our lives? What if they looked at us and said, golly, they should be terrified, and they're not? See, here's the question. Here's the question. What would I do if I absolutely was sure God was with me? What would I do if I was absolutely sure God was with me? It would change the way I think. It would change the way I make decisions. It would change the way I build relationships if I absolutely believed God was with me. God's principle here of living a life fearlessly. A principle is a lifelong truth, right? A principle was true when Jesus said to his disciples, don't be afraid. The principle is true for us today, and the principle is true long after we're gone, that we can live a life that's fearless. Why? Because he's got our souls. And when we believe that, Therefore, we put our identity into Jesus. 
We put our identity into Christ. And when I put my identity into Christ, who I am, I'm living out Matthew 10, 28. I can live fearlessly because my identity is in Christ. But make no mistake about it. As long as we live here in this world, as long as we live in this world that we battle every day, we're going to be tempted to locate our identity into something smaller, something or someone that is smaller than Jesus. And when we do, we'll always be disappointed. When we put our identity into someone or something smaller than Jesus, we will always be disappointed. You see, what Jesus is saying here is that they can kill your bodies. Now, I think that body represents everything of this world. It's our physical body. When we put our identity into this, how we look, what we wear, where I live, what I drive, my position, my title, when we put our identity into those things, Jesus is saying they could take that away. And they will. When you put your identity into those things, eventually you will never measure up. You might think you are, but eventually you'll come down because you can't stay there. And you'll be disappointed. And therefore live a fearful life because you can't stay there. You can't look that way. You can't stay in that position. And that's where we wrestle. And that's where we get fearful. Because we put identity in the wrong thing. Noble Dawes did. Noble Dawes dropped the pass. He dropped the pass, one ball, one pass, one mistake. 1941 now, Noble Doss played for the University of Texas. And the University of Texas was undefeated and number one in the nation. And only one game separated them between that and the Rose Bowl and a national championship. We just saw the national championship in the Rose Bowl last Monday. Noble Dawes went deep, pass was thrown. Only 20 yards separated him from the end zone. The ball hit his hands, and he dropped it. And Baylor went on to win. Many years later, Noble Doss was telling this story to Mac Brown, the head coach at Texas until just a few weeks ago. And Mac Brown says Noble Doss had tears in his eyes as he was explaining this drop pass. Years later, Noble Doss said, I think about that drop pass every day. It wasn't as if Noble Doss didn't have other things to think about now. He'd been married for six decades. He had his kids and grandkids. He was on the cover of Life magazine. He was in World War II. He was a high school Hall of Fame football player in Texas. He was an All-American at Texas. He played in the NFL. He played on two Championship NFL teams for the Eagles, but drop passes fade slowly. 
this morning, this morning some of us have dropped the ball and we're fearful. Maybe you've let somebody down or you're afraid to let somebody down. Maybe you've let a spouse down, a parent down, your kids down, a friend down, your business, your team. You don't feel like you can measure up and it makes you afraid. Noble Doss got that. But you see, when we begin to understand that our identity and our security lie in Jesus and Jesus alone, in his death and in his resurrection, that's our identity. It liberates us to be okay. It liberates us to be okay even if we're not okay, like Noble Doss. We don't have to pretend anymore to be something that we're not. Only what God made us to be. We can admit our weaknesses to ourselves on the drop balls that we've made in our life. We're freed up. You can live a life of security in Jesus. No fear. Tavidian said this, and I like it. When you understand that your significance, security, and identity are all locked up in Christ, you don't have to win. You're free to lose. And nothing in this broken world can beat a person who isn't afraid to lose. You might even find yourself saying crazy, risky, counterintuitive stuff like to live as Christ and die as gain. Wow. Right? I spent many years coaching, and the teams and the opponents I feared the most were the ones that weren't afraid to lose. Because you don't know what they were going to do. And on the opposite side of that, the, the athletes I struggled with to coach the most were the ones that were competing not to lose instead of competing to win. Do you understand the difference there? It all comes, come, comes out the same, potentially, but they come from absolutely two different viewpoints. And Jesus is saying, I've already won. I got your soul. So we can take a risk. What keeps us from taking risks? The fear of not being successful, right? The fear of not being happy. So we live a life potentially playing our cards really close to our chest because we're afraid. And those cards might be spiritual. You might be living a life spiritually afraid because you don't want to take a risk. You don't really want to step out for Jesus. So you keep those cards close. Man, what would people think? What would people think if they really knew? You might hold those cards close relationally. You might even hold those cards close vocationally. What Jesus is saying to his disciples as we're listening in, and he's saying to us, is I'm enough. I'm enough. You can throw the what ifs right out 
of the equation. I'm enough. And when we believe that, then we can take these radical risks, like, like accepting God's grace for us when we drop the ball, like Ken talked about last week. We can accept God's grace when we drop the ball. And then we can turn around and give grace to others. We can take that risk. We can take the risk of getting in a small group. You can take the risk and go to Africa. You can take a risk and love the unlovely. You can take a risk and share Christ with a coworker or a neighbor that you've developed a relationship with. No fear. We can invest freely because we've been freely invested in. Jesus has got our soul. Right? I like what Rick Warren said. He said a lot of good things. But I really like this. He said, this life that we live right here, it's the pregame. It's the warm-up. It's the staging area. It's the tryout. It's the preparation for the next. We're going to live, what, 70, 60, 70, 80. We might live as old as Terry Ranstead. Now, I told him I was going to say that. <laughs> he said he wasn't going to be here, so I said I was going to do that. I didn't tell him what I was going to say, but he's a duck, so I can say anything I want. <laughs> but we're going to live however long, someday, right? Our hearts will stop beating and it will be the end of our life here on earth. But it will not be the end of us. Because God, Jesus, has our soul and we will live for an eternity. And therefore, it should shape the way we think. It should shape the way we, we look at everything. It should shape the way we look at relationships. It should shape the way we spend our money. It should shape the way we buy things or not. It should shape the way we handle circumstances because God's got our soul. This morning, you may be facing some real fears. Carolyn talked about that. This morning, you got some real fears this morning. You have anxiety. This morning, you're wondering if that depression is ever going to really lift. This morning, you're wondering if that pain is ever really going to go away. You woke up this morning, the sky was gray. And that load isn't getting any lighter. And you feel trapped and locked in and you are afraid. And I think Jesus is whispering to you today. I think he's whispering to me today. Next verse that goes there. I think this is what he's saying to us, although this isn't. Change. Oh, maybe I go like this. There we go. I think Jesus is saying this to us today. He looks at us and he says, and we know that in all things God works for good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. I think, I think Jesus is going to put his arms around you and me today. And he says, can anything separate us from my love to you? 
Can anything separate my love? Does it mean that I no longer love you if you have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hunger or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Absolutely not, he's saying to you and me. He looks us in the eyes and says, remember Isaiah? When you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When you walk through the fire, you won't be burned. Nor shall the flames scorch you because I've got your soul, he's telling you and me. Jesus looks us in the eye, grabs our shoulders, looks at us, and says, I have told you all this so that you can have peace in me. Peace, hope, fearless. Here on earth, you're going to have some trials. We're going to have some sorrows. But take heart. You see, I've overcome this world. I've got your soul. So we're walking into 2014 and a new year. And I can predict, and so can you, that we're going to have some tough times ahead. I mean, Jesus is predicting the same thing to his disciples, and Scripture tells us that. If we can look forward through the year of 2014, I can predict that we're going to have some pressures, right? You're going to have some pressures at work. You're going to have some pressures at home. There's going to be some tension in some relationships. There could be some financial trouble. There could be some health issues. And Jesus is saying, I got you. I got you in every one of those. In 2014, walk fearlessly. I've got you. Now what if? What if we walked out of here today and we lived that? That was a challenge now. I said, when we follow Jesus, what are we going to get? We're going to get a life that we can live fearlessly. doesn't mean that things aren't going to come our way now, but we know the end. And therefore, we can be fearless. What if? What if the world was watching and they saw you in these circumstances? You see, we live in a world that reeks with insecurity. It's hopeless, it's restless, it's fearful. And they see you. They see you in the midst of some really tough things. And they see you walk fearlessly because of the person that you identify with. Because he's walking right alongside you. Can we? We must live a life that's fearless. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your promise. Your promise is that we can live a life fearlessly. And you say it over and over again. I think of Mark 4, Lord, when the boat is in a storm. They can't swim. The boat's filling up. It's starting to go down. And Jesus looks at his disciples and says, No fear! What are you afraid of? And he calms the storm. Lord, I pray today that we could live a life like that. That you're in the boat with us in 2014. And I pray, Lord, that we can live a life that's fearless. In Jesus' name, amen.